<clears throat> All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The word of God. Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for preserving the, um, the news um, of the formation of the, of the church, the very beginning of it. We thank you that we get to be part of it and to see what you did and how you did it, how they worshiped. And Lord, we, we want to be able to derive inspiration and instruction from this first pristine church. And so Lord, we pray that, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So in the book of Acts, we started to look at the awesome events of the day of Pentecost. We followed that by digging into Peter's sermon, which included both a biblical explanation for the events and a very convicting tie-in to how those events were related to Jesus Christ, who is ultimately responsible for those events. Now, the mark of a good sermon is that it moves its listeners to action. And, and Peter's first listeners were absolutely moved to action. To the point where we are told that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That fact alone is astounding. But what is even more informative for us is to look at how these brand new Christians did church. Now, before we go there, I want to just remind you of what human society had become from the time Adam and Eve were ejected out of the Garden of Eden. Trouble began to, uh, very quickly with their two sons, Cain and Abel. Um, they had uh, what started out as sibling rivalry, got to the point where Cain got so jealous that he killed his brother. From that point on, murder, adultery, and evil of every kind under the sun kept on intensifying. In fact, we reach a point where even God could bear it no more and he had to wipe the earth clean of all human beings save Noah's family. Even after the flood, we are told that evil took root again like weeds and covered the earth quickly. 
So if you were to put a camera into any group of people and examine what went on within the privacy of their homes or buildings that they gathered in, we would see only power struggles and exploitation and strife and broken relationships. The only time human beings came together to, to cooperate on something was when they got a bright idea to build what I would call the Tower of Folly, which was intended to be so tall that they could actually climb up that tower and reach God. And they wanted to reach God only for the purpose of boasting to the whole world about how great they were that they could build the tower to reach God. Now, God, of course, was not very impressed with such stupidity and knowing the danger that this tower would, uh, would pose to them as it at, at some point began to crumble under its own weight, um, he stopped the project by changing the language of the people so that the builders could not communicate with each other anymore and eventually had to abandon the project. And as they abandoned it, they moved so far away from each other um, that it, it had the effect of humankind spreading across the globe. But the fact is that wherever they went, the societies that they built always had violence, sexual sin, selfishness, and greed. And we are told that the worship of the true God the God who actually made them was a rare phenomenon in those days. Let me read some statements to you from the Old Testament that summarizes well the human condition. Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 and 6 says these, this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was altogether evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Fast forward to the end of Judges, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, we get this statement. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In Psalm 53, verses 1 and 3, we get these words. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And finally, when we get to the time of Jesus, as he walked the streets, there is a point where he looks at the city of Jerusalem, that famous city that is called the city of God. And Jesus weeps because he looks at the city and what he sees is sheep without a shepherd. Now I want to fast forward from all of these to the first church on the day of Pentecost. You see, this community represents the reverse of everything that we just talked about, both at the Tower of Babel and all of human society up to this point. In our Acts verses today, we see a very different kind of community. 
And two things jump out at us. What this new church believed and how they did it. And that's what we're going to dwell on today. Let's start with what they believed. We're told that everyone in the church devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Now we know um, what that was because that is what God solidified into what we know as the New Testament. And if you want to summarize what the New Testament says, um, you would get a very, very good idea of what the early church um, believed. So the early church, we can summarize, had a very strong foundation in who Jesus Christ was, what he taught, what Christ came to do, and what Christ was asking them to do. Right? This is, um, a, this is what they were very clear about. In other words, the early church was operating with a new level of wisdom and purpose that the Holy Spirit was able to give the people. The saints in the early church had clarity of mind about who Jesus was, who their teachers were, why they were, um, who they themselves were, which were people who were being saved by Jesus Christ and received into his family and now have been given an assignment to take the gospel to their city, to their, to their country, and even to the whole world. This is what we are told the early church believed. Now let's see what they did with that. Because they could recognize the work of God when they saw it, they were filled, we are told, with awe and wonder at what the apostles were doing. In other words, they had great respect for their teachers and elders. We're told that they met very often. That means they really liked each other. And they couldn't wait to be with each other again. They were filled with, um, with life and joy and praises to God at all times and especially when they met. And in terms of the bonds they had within the community, it is really incredible. Let me give you an example. We are told that they even sold all their possessions and gave it to the apostles so they could distribute it to those who had some need. So if someone lacked food, they would make sure that they had enough food to eat. If someone lacked a place to stay, they would make sure that they found a place for them to stay. If someone lacked clothing, they would make sure that they had clothing. Now to make the needs of the to make the needs of the group taken care of in this way, it might sound strange to our individualistic, capitalistic American years. When we hear that they had to liquidate their assets so that they could give it to the leadership to distribute it, it sounds scary to us. It, so it sounds scary to me at times, right? It may even sound like communism to us. But there are circumstances where such a scenario might be necessary. For example, if being a Christ follower meant that you could not get a job or earn a living, then the rest of the community would have to get used to sharing at that kind of level, at a level that they may have never done before. In such a situation, the only option may be to liquidate all our assets and allow the leadership to distribute them uh, to the group as they see fit. 
This is how, what the first church community looked like. Now, I also want to point out that they were doing this within the community of believers and not in an open-ended way to just about anybody outside. Now, I'm sure that they were willing to extend a helping hand to people outside. Uh, but people outside simply did not have the same threats to their income um, that, the, that the believers had. And therefore, they didn't have the level of need as the people inside the church had. That's something that is important for us to understand. Also, the fact is that when you make yourself vulnerable to this extent, to a group of people, the wisdom um, is that, um, just as the early church did, that, that we share first those who share our values as well. Otherwise, we can expose ourselves to being exploited um, and expose ourselves to, to simply uh, being people who are on the other end of being defrauded or being stolen from. And there is no wisdom in making yourself a target of crime, right? That is not what the early church was doing. But there are some other important aspects um, to the way the community in the first church functioned as well that I want to touch upon. When this energized little group of people met, they were full of praise to God. They were full of prayer. They broke bread together and they ate fellowship meals together. Let me just dwell on the energy that this group radi radiated for a minute. Verse 46 tells us that they had glad and sincere hearts. There was joyful in the group that was beyond their circumstances. They were not joyful because everything was working out for them, right? Remember, they had just had to liquidate the assets to share so that everybody was fed and, and had protection over their head. They were joyful because the one who makes everything work out for their good was with them. They knew God and they had a strong fellowship with God and with each other. And that was causing them to simply overflow with joy. And that is why they were so full of praise to God. We are also told that their hearts were sincere. Now, sincere means that they were genuine, not deceitful or full of guile. They were straightforward people. They said what they meant, and they meant what they said. When you are in a group of sincere people like that, it's a very freeing thing, right? Because you can take people for face value. This is very liberating. You're right. Um, you can be right with others. You can be straight with others, and others can be straight with you. Now, this only happens if you have accepted yourself and you have nothing to hide. And when you are in that state, then you are also free to trust those around you. Unfortunately, being sincere, honest, authentic, and trusting are all human qualities that were deeply damaged by the fall and therefore are not naturally present in the society that we live in. So we have to always be on our guard with people around us. But then when we come into 
the church community, that is the community of those who are being saved by Christ, we get an, a glimpse of the honesty and sincerity that makes trust possible. The family of God is where you can let your guard down. That is why the place of, of worship we also call the house of God. It is a house because it's a place where those around us are our family members in a way. Those whom we can trust. And that is a very freeing thing. The place, the, the house of God is that one place where we are free to have sincere hearts. Because the early church had this visible presence of God with them through these miraculous signs and wonders that he was doing, as well as an incredibly strong community with strong leadership, where people's needs were being met and where people were satisfied. There was so much joy there in the early church that in spite of the lack of impressive buildings and worldly power, this group of people became terribly attractive to the world around them. And because of that, the church was growing like wildfire. The last observation I want to make about the first church community is this. In verse 47, it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I want you to just pay attention to the phrase being saved here for a minute. Being saved implies a work in progress. That means people have not reached perfection by any means. They were flawed too. We know that even in the early church, they had conflicts and disagreements, confusions and failings, just like any of us. And so I'm, my intention is not to idolize the people of the first church and put them up on a pedestal. The Bible does not put any human being on a pedestal save one, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we should not be doing that either. At the same time, it is right to give honor to the apostles and those in the early church because not because they were perfect people, but because of the place that God has given them in our own faith journeys. And even while there were people who were a work in progress, we had so much to learn from them. Because out of their obedience to God, God was able to create the very first being saved community that in contrast to what existed before that was nothing less than a glimpse of heaven on earth. So what does that mean for us? I want to just summarize the, the takeaway in, in two parts. First, what we should believe and then what we should do. First, what we should believe. Like the first church, we cannot compromise on who Jesus Christ is. The fact that his work is a unique work, his work on the cross, for our sins that paved a way for us to have eternal life. Make no mistake, if you compromise Christ, you compromise everything. But believing does not make us the people who have reached our final destination either. 
Believing and receiving Christ into our hearts makes us a people who are being saved. That means we are a people who are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not that we are engineering our own salvation, but that we are people who with fear and trembling are living out what a saved life should look like. So that one day we can stand before Christ and give an account of the lives that we have led. Now, this is a complex topic, and I'm not saying, on the other hand, that we should begin to doubt our salvation. What I'm saying is that we should consider ourselves both saved and a work in progress. We should not be cocky about our saved status, but focus rather on living a saved life with a great deal of awe and reverence to God. This is the believing part of it. But then there should also be the doing part. When people who are being saved come together to form a community, you should get a little piece of heaven on earth. In India, there is a place called Kashmir in the very north of India. One of the Muslim leader, leaders, uh, rulers, when they came to India in the 17th century, saw this place. And when he looked at it, he said, if ever there was a heaven on earth, it is here, it is here, it is here. Now, if you were to go to this place, you would easily see why he felt this way. It is a place of incredible natural beauty, snow-capped mountains, beautiful trees and lakes that reflect all those colors in a way that doubles all that beauty. But for many years, Kashmir has also been a place of violence and conflict. In other words, it looks great in photographs, but all that natural beauty hides all the human strife that is taking place within. But in the church, in a way we have Kind of the opposite of that. Because if we are doing our job well, we may have a community that doesn't look so impressive on the outside. Because we are reaching out to all of those people on the fringes of community who have great needs. But on the other hand, if we are doing our job well, within this community, we'll have great love. We will have an incredible level of taking care of each other's needs. We will have strong biblical teaching. We will have everybody obeying scripture. We will have God being honored. And that, my friends, is the definition of heaven on earth. So my friends, let's look to God to learn from scripture and the first church established in the book of Acts. If you're doing these things, then we too can, can be agents of bringing a little piece of heaven right here in the Argentine community. Not that it looks like heaven on the outside, but something that is truly heaven because it's a place where God dwells. With the help of the Holy Spirit, may this be true of this church and any church that is following 
the great example that has been set for us by the early church. Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the way in which you not only died on the cross, but then you send your Holy Spirit to empower a group of people to be gathered um, under your wings and be transformed from within so that they could love each other like you have loved them. And they changed everything, the way society looked from the ground up, from the inside out. And that transformation was so clear, so distinct, so beautiful, that those outside looked at what you were doing here on earth and said, we want to be in. We want to be a part of that. And so in those days, people on the streets, the beggars on the streets, and ultimately the the emperor of Rome himself wanted to be part and became a part of your church. Oh Lord, I just pray that you would look upon us with favor. Likewise, that you would send your Holy Spirit in each one of us so that we too can function um, with that same level of love, with that same level of wisdom, with the same level of power and understanding and authority that when we that when we pray that you would gift us with a capacity that, that miraculous things would happen around us and people would know and that, that your presence is with us, that you would confirm our words and our actions with your power. And great things would happen, Lord, in this community. But we trust you. We know that you can do that. You have done it then and you're doing it even now in all kinds of parts of the world. You can still do it here. And we pray that you will. You know the needs of our community. They are great. The list of people who, who are sick and need miraculous healing itself is a long list. Lord, we pray that that's where you would begin. That you would start doing miracles. And not only that, Lord, that you would work in each one of our hearts so that you would strengthen us, that you would increase our faith. That wherever we go, that we would take you with us. And people would be drawn to the community that we are building. Because they have not experienced anything like that where they are. And may your name be glorified, O oh Lord. May your name be glorified greatly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.